Welcome back to Mind Matters, everyone. On today's show, we're going to be picking up on a thread that we left kind of dangling at the end of one of our previous episodes on Christianity and its positive impact, some of the positive impacts that it's had on Western civilization. Now, that show was based on the book Victory of Reason by sociologist of religion Rodney Stark. And in that book, he basically argues that the Dark Ages were not Dark Ages. They were a time of technological innovation and religious innovation and social innovation that led to science and that led to capitalism and that led to many freedoms that we today uh, see threatened by you know autocratic and technocratic forces. Now... At the end of that show, I read a quote from a book called Mimesis and Intertextuality by Dennis MacDonald. And that quote goes as follows. This was what made the Christian gospel something familiar and alluring, even captivating for the masses of people of the Roman world. It was a story they had heard long before and had learned to admire and respect. Stories of endurance, of suffering, and courage in the face of overwhelming fate had prepared them to hear the same story again, but now one in which they themselves were included in a new way. They themselves were invited to participate individually as protagonists and main characters. In the Christian story, each individual was required to repeat the story of the captain, to take up his or own, her, her own cross and follow to the end of life, whatever the end, that end might be. Now, there's a number of important and I think critical things to pull apart from this, from this little passage. And one of them is that this Christian gospel didn't have this narrative as, you know, as it's, it didn't create it. It pulled it out of a long history, a rich tradition that was created in the artistic imagination of many philosophers and playwrights and poets, and that recast it in a form that was that could be practiced by the masses. And so it's not an inherently Christian thing. So it, you know, if you remove the Christian gloss, it loses a bit of its, you know, the, the holy aura around it. Mm-hmm. But in today's, in the modern world, if you stripped it of that Christian gloss, you would hear Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. You'd hear quite a bit of Jordan Peterson's message that we have to take up our cross and that we have to face our suffering in order to move from hell or in order to avoid the hell of actual horrible things happening to us in our, in our day-to-day life and move towards something that you could call heaven. You know, it's something that's distant. It's a star overhead that you're constantly striving for that you'll probably never, ever reach in a physical life form, but that possibly, if you have faith, maybe there is such a thing as a heaven, a place where suffering doesn't exist. But this idea of, of suffering is so central and to that Christian mythos that it really seemed to be an engine, like a salve for, for centuries, for people who suffered you know, great deals uh, more than you know, most of us could ever say that we would suffer today, you know, with the collapse of Rome and wars and, 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 you know, just day-to-day life in societies without the kind of technological innovations that we, that we have. And that's one of the tasks, I think, of philosophy, mm-hmm. is to address this core human condition and to 
present ways of dealing with it, to present to to really grapple with it in a real way, and it, that legitimizes you know the actual experience that people go through. You know that's that's I think one reason why Jordan Peterson is as popular as he is is because he does that. He comes to you at your level and he says, we're all slobs. You know, in some way, we're all slobs. We all make mistakes. We all are capable of great moral failings, you know, that will then lead to catastrophe. But, you know, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. We have to take responsibility as individuals and we have to move forward in order to avoid those catastrophes. And so in that sense, this Christian mythos and our modern, this modern age of, you know, the coddling of, you know, the Western mind, they kind of, they go hand in hand. And it seems that these days we need to be able to understand what, what kind of suffering is important. You know, how do, what kind of attitude do we, should we actually take, you know, deep down, what kind of beliefs should we have towards suffering, because we, the kind of beliefs that we've gotten over the years, especially from, you know, psych, uh, psychological theories and various institutions is that suffering is, is bad. And it's always, it's always, it's an evil. It's just a, an evil that should be done away with. Um, you know, you just, you think about the, the theories of traumatic childhood, you know, tr you know, trauma theories, that everything that was bad that happened to a child whether it was, you know, a scrape, a spanking, or anything, was an injustice. And, and a lot of the theories that we have about, about suffering in one way or another is that suffering is, in its own way, an injustice, a personal slight against you by somebody else. And you see that really fuels the hysteria behind a lot of the, the leftist kind of... Um, uh, in the you know in the institutions the academia a lot of a lot of people who say that if you ever suffered then you are a victim and as a victim now you claim this special place in society you claim this special role almost in a strange way almost like a bastardizing of the christian mythology where the suffering of christ was used to motivate people to ascend their suffering this you become the Christ, the Christ child, the victim child, and everyone should worship you. Now you are the one who the people should be making, you know, amends to because it's your personal suffering that is, you know, that is just the, the worst possible catastrophe in the universe. But at the same time, we know that we don't want people to suffer needlessly, mm -hmm. and we take suffering seriously. Even the claims of... of you know, legitimate uh, people on the left of suffering, historical suffering is, you know, you take that seriously. This you know, suffering of slaves, the suffering of empire, you know, victims of empire. That's the kind of stuff we want to take seriously. So on today's show, we're going to be kind of just unpacking a lot of that and seeing, you know, what does it mean to take up your cross and to move forward until the end of your life versus just suffering needlessly. Well, you said quite a lot there, Corey, and that was a great intro because, uh, as we know, there, there are different types of sufferings. Um, the philosopher, spiritualist, uh, guru, uh, George Gurdjieff, uh, made a lot of important distinctions uh, between the types of, of suffering that, um, 
that people experience and uh, he, he broke it down for people. Um, and what he was trying to convey, I think, is that there's a lot of mechanical suffering that, um, that we're not really privy to, that we're not conscious of, that is uh, mechanical, that is uh, in reaction to something that offends our self-importance, our ego, um, that is, uh, is due to programming. And uh, like you said, with you know the, this whole kind of leftist hysteria and, and reaction to injustices and, and that whole movement would seem to me to be a very kind of mechanical, uh, unconscious uh, form of suffering that calls for a reaction to everything instead of a, um, a kind of self-aware, self-reflecting um, processing. Of, of suffering where it truly exists and where the offense may truly come from. So uh, he was very important in, um, in modern thinking, I think, in, in introducing these ideas because uh, what, what he was really saying was that um, suffering, I mean, because he had also uh, introduced this idea of, of conscious suffering, of picking, you know, choosing your own cross and bearing it and living with it in the way that Peterson would propose. Um, he had a number of things to say about that throughout his life. Uh, this was a, a, um, an interesting quote from his book, Beelzebub's Tale, which, uh, which I was thinking about when you were uh, giving your intro, Kari. He said, um, how is it to be with us? It's not to say, I wish to serve, I must be able to serve. It is not legitimate to say, I'll serve when it suits me, because it works out that we have to serve just when it does not suit us. We have to be like the air and let everything take us, deny ourselves to nothing, let everything be transmitted through us. Um, and here is, uh, th this was actually the intro to a quote um, from an article that, uh, that I thought approached these ideas very well. Um, the author writes, a multitude of things in life clamor for my attention. Rather than attempt to quiet the noise of distraction by mechanically doing, I have found that I am most at peace when I take time to sink into the moment and trust the spirit within to discern the next action. Spirit, which is this author's other way of saying you know, unconscious uh, or um, or conscience, uh, the ability to 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 be self-aware and to uh, feel um, all those things that it's possible to feel uh, at any given time. Um, I have found that I am most at peace when I take the time to sink into the moment and trust the spirit within to discern the next action. Spirit may request that a neighbor be asked to dinner or a child's behavior be addressed. It may be as simple as sweeping the floor or emptying the trash, or as involved as writing an article. At times I may prefer to walk on by, but the nudge comes into my consciousness to see what is necessary as necessary. Whatever it may be, once it is seen, becomes my duty to consciously tend to it. This action of service is liberating. 
rather than grasping for my old self and avoiding reality, the very thing that is unfolding before me is reality. I consent to this conscious labor of love and intentional suffering, knowing that with each step I take, God's love has always met and will always meet all my needs. I give freely and receive joyfully. So uh, there, there is a kind of a, a training, a, a programming that exists, I think, in, in, uh, in our generation and especially the new generations to, um, towards self-gratification, towards ego-boosting activities and dissociation, which give very little uh, uh, direction or instruction uh, on how to be just basic living, just basic interacting with one's environment and, and one's others and, and being responsive, uh, to the needs of our environment and the needs of people that we're in relationship to. And, um, it's, uh, it's the, the kind of moment to moment, um, uh, pursuit of being that responsive to the needs of uh, people in our lives, to the needs of uh, the, the, the tasks that need doing and need doing now, um, and putting aside our preoccupations, our um, picadillos, our, our uh, unconscious comfort food eating, our um, indulgences in... Um, in basically, you know, channel surfing or, or spending untold hours on YouTube uh, because we're learning something. Um, it, it's those things that we can, uh, we can avoid and replace with, I think, a, uh, a conscious intention to, um, to grow. Um, so I would say that the, the mechanical suffering in part comes from, uh, you know, this, this reaction to not being able to do many of the things that we want to do because we have to do our chores, because we have to go to work, because we have to pick up the kids, because our, you know, our, some other, you know, uh, shitty task has, has fallen on our path that, that needs taken care of when, when it's all those things really that um, on a very basic level uh, should be met with, um, with some amount of, um, if not eagerness, then, then proactivity. And I'm not saying that it's, it's easy, uh, but the point is to be as aware of the fact that it's not easy, even when it's not easy, um, as, as when it is. We do it because it's not easy is, is the point, I think. All right, so basically, a lot of that it sounds like is just avoiding avoiding suffering. That's the, yeah, yes, yeah, okay. That's uh, so yeah, yeah. I think you made a really good distinction there between the awareness involved in actually doing things intentionally, like just intentionally working, and just being angry or resentful or getting bitter because you're just. Everything's just happening to you. Mm -hmm. And how else could you be, you know, if, if everything just happens to you? 
and you have no, you just don't have a sense of control over really anything. But like you said, like in this modern generation, you can just, you know, you have a, a modicum of sense of control is that you can, you know, push a button and you get an instant hit of, you know, inner you know, endogenous drugs, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, you just push a button and you're like, boom, there's another hit, boom, there's another hit, boom, there's another hit. And I mean, how many of them are just burned out at this point, practically junkies, you know, that's, that in and of itself is, is a huge, huge source of, of suffering in, in this generation that, you know, in previous generations, you, you learned how to sit, you, you know, if, if it was playtime, you've got a stick, you're just playing in the mud, just sit there with a stick that's that was you that's learning how you feel when you play with a stick in the mud you're like oh this is kind of fun this is kind of neat and then you learn how you feel when you know when you're in trouble very important to be able to tell the differences between extremes in emotions and in sensations and that's one of the the roles i think of of suffering in our daily just in the history of life on earth really i mean you how else do you know for sure that you've really screwed up if you don't suffer mm-hmm. tremendously for what you've done? Right. That's why we have it in our justice system. That's why you introduce, you know, larger and more severe penalties for people who've done more worse things is because suffering is at the root of our experience on life. It's it's what it's the whip you know, at our back. We're all kind of slaves to it, really. It's just the whip that tells you, nope, not done yet. Keep going. Nope. You did that wrong. You screwed that one up. Your whole life's a mess. You know, oh, now you're getting eaten, you know, (laughs) so (laughs) now you're, you're done. And it's, it's at the core of experience. So I think one of the attitudes that, um, that's missing in the debate and that is obviously being filled with, you know, other alternative, uh, sources like Jordan Peterson and other various philosophers and, and critical thinkers is that, that you just have to accept it as a objective fact, even though we know that it's not fashionable these days to have an objective fact. Mm. It's just, why does the fact have to be objective? You know, I, I should be able to say or think or do whatever I want at, at my whim it's like, no, that suffering is there to remind you, really, that you are not in control, that you are not the center of the universe. You haven't learned everything. You're not God incarnate on the planet. And that is fine. That's normal. Um, and obviously here we're talking about, I think, like a psychological kind of suffering. Um, I know Viktor Frankl, the, the mm-hmm. famous psychologist, uh, he divided the kinds of suffering into like somatic illnesses and into psychological and and then into spiritual kinds of suffering. So we're talking about like a psychological, a spiritual suffering because we're talking about a loss of meaning. It's like a spiritual kind of suffering is is the loss of orientation, a loss of meaning and an absorption in like hedonism, even though, you know, we think or part of us thinks. Another really important distinction, I think, made by uh, the philosopher you brought up, Gurdjieff, that there's that part of you might think that hedonism is great, and in the moment it might be for that part of you, but we aren't the you know the dog that are that part of us thinks it is. 
you know, that, that genetic kind of just lowly earthly, just get whatever, make me feel better. I'm a, I'm a monkey. Essentially. I have the genes of monkeys and all dogs and all of that, um, running and, and firing off. And it's, you know, obviously there's a, a different part of us. And that's another thing in the, in the Christ myth that I think is so powerful is that it hits it at this subjective sense of suffering, right? The very subjective nature of it, but it objectifies it in terms of uh, everyone can see it. They can witness it in, you know, in this sacred figure who really can't be faulted because he was perfect. He's the greatest, you know, the greatest man ever. He gave everything and then he was slaughtered and, and, and suffered horribly, but he was also God. So, you know, you, this in, in doing so, in suffering all of this and and yet and then in 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 this great amount of suffering he was transformed and he was tra- and he was then he sit, went to the right hand of god and that was the implicit kind of promise i think that everyone could pick up on is that if you do carry this cross if you do live for a purpose and what higher purpose could there be than to 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 enact god's will on earth to forgive the fallen you know, of all humanity to, and to give them passage to eternal life. Um, what higher goal is there than that? But that was implicit. And that's one, when you unpack the idea that's, that's deep in there is that if you suffer for a higher ideal, mm-hmm. if you suffer, if suffer for the highest ideal possible, that it, there's a transformation that takes place. And, and I, you know, a lot of people, when you look at it, you can't look at it scientifically you know, I mean, there's probably ways that you can analyze it scientifically, but obviously you can't really theorize it in terms of science because you can't really trap that kind of stuff in a laboratory. First of all, it's eth- highly unethical, I think, to force people to suffer in a lab and then, you know, to identify. And then how would you measure? I mean, you could operationalize possibly and then measure how they, they grew as people. Um, obviously, we're not at that point yet in, in terms of even desire to do such a thing. But historically, you know, you can look and you can look through history and you can see sim- you can see how that exists as an objective fact mm-hmm. and if you believe that and you pursue that there is transformation possible and yet you know it's it's a very it's a very tricky tricky thing because you know obviously you can trick yourself like i was saying before you can trick yourself into thinking you're suffering for some great thing but in fact you're just kind of suffering suffering uselessly because like you know like all of us you're just kind of you're just stuck in something maybe it's indigestion or, or you know maybe you're eating unhealthy foods or maybe you are um you know you have these beliefs like we talked about in a previous show on uh on psi and psychotherapy on how you have a belief that's implanted in you Im- or imprinted rather imprinted in you in like early infancy, then that belief can influence you for the rest of your life and ruin your relationships and ruin your, just your ability to even open up emotionally to the possibility of, you know, of finding something higher because obviously, you know, obviously you do have to have some purity of heart, I guess, involved, you know, there's something, something childish in it, some kind of infantile wish for something higher that is positive, but at the same time, 
is still, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, you can't, it's not scientific and, and rigid and precise. But uh, anyways, like what I was saying, like, for example, and we talked about this, this gentleman who he was neglected and abandoned by his parents when he was, you know, an infant and he was abandoned and he was taken um, to his grandparents by social services and his grandparents raised him for a little while, but then they weren't able to anymore. So then he was put into foster care and, and, uh, and he did the rounds in foster care. And then in every other respect in his life, he was really pretty, he was highly intelligent and successful. And yet then when he went into the, the therapist, you know, he was just complaining about, how he had ruined every relationship he'd ever been in. He didn't understand, you know, he had money, but he just could never, uh, you know, he never felt warmth around other people. He just, that just didn't happen. And so as he unpacked it with this therapist, he realized that, you know, one of those, you know, that disruption of, the, of his attachments when he was a, you know, a young child had led to the manifestation of this belief that, you know, people don't stick around. You can't rely on them. So, you know, on an unconscious level, on a deep level, it was just, he tested that on every person that he got into a relationship with, you know, try and push him away, you know, be rude, you know, see if, if it's true that anyone will actually stick around, you know, putting up barriers and all, and all those kinds of things. And as he unpacked that and, you know, tested that out with the therapist, you know, he started, he soon, he was able to understand that it was just an infantile narcissistic you know, belief mm -hmm. that he didn't need to have anymore. But we obviously, we all have similar, you know, type beliefs, type pathogenic beliefs um, that are imprinted for, you know, for any kind of reason. You never know. It's like, obviously life isn't perfect, but as we, you know, said, it's, you know, on a, from a, if you're looking at it from a spiritual point of view, from the transformative point of view, then if you accept suffering as it is, as like a fact, then that can become like the, the fuel, the fire for your personal growth. And so obviously what he did by, by becoming aware of the problem mm -hmm. and then realizing that he had to fix the problem somehow and then going and seeking out, you know, the way to fix it. And obviously he'd been to, you know, other therapists and, and, you know, but nobody had really understood what the problem is. But then once he got that knowledge, that information, then he was transformed. Right. And so that process right there yeah. is, I mean, that is, you know, isn't that our, our goal really in life? Isn't, isn't that what we all want? Is that kind of a, a transformation? If you could just, you know, because there's so many issues that we aren't aware of. But we know that there's there we know that there's an issue, but we keep it below awareness because we because it feels like if you to bring it too much into awareness, then you will then you'll feel guilty and you'll feel your your conscience will strike you because it seems to me that if you if you know that there's something wrong and there's an issue that's causing you to suffer and you're aware of it, you know that it's there, but you refuse to solve it then then you've you've sinned you know on like a deep kind of you know using biblical uh, terminology that you've you've sinned against yourself in some way and you and it feels like a sin because 
you're making life harder for yourself and for other people. And, you know, it's, that's just the human condition really. But if, you know, like this, like, you know, like that gentleman, when you see that there's a problem and then you seek the information and the knowledge, yeah. seek the truth really to, to solve the problem, yes. then you have, you, you have the opportunity to transform not only for yourself, but for others. So, I mean, that's, this is like, an, you know, obviously an empirical, historical, you could, you know, fact that we all understand. Yeah. And that's at the core, I think, of that Christian, of the Christian mythos that, that we open the show with. Well, you know, that brings up a number of uh, different ideas and, and, um, and thoughts for me because, um, well, for, for the, uh, to begin with, that's a, a great example of conscious suffering, which is... Uh, this uh, this man's attempt to um, meet his issues head on, to be cognizant of them as issues, um, and to seek out assistance in identifying uh, not only how they have shown up in his life, but the the very causes of them. Um, you know, sitting in a in a room with a therapist and facing those things, being aware of them, is a process. It's a difficult process. It's uh, it it requires some amount of courage, and and pain, in the moment, emotional pain, psychological pain, where you're you're groping for a, for understanding, for closure, for um, a way forward, that doesn't feel like this kind of uh, automatic blind. Um, uh, reaction to stimuli that uh, that characterizes the way I think a lot of people live their lives. Um, I was reading an article this morning about defense mechanisms, and um, the author, who is a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I forget which, um, broke down uh, the various types of defense mechanisms that individuals use when they feel like they're being attacked or uh or even when they're they're just perceiving some kind of stress in their lives that that comes from work or a relationship and um and what he said was that there were primitive defense mechanisms which were basically like projection and and uh and reaction um basically basically the mechanical uh, suffering that I think we were discussing here a moment ago. Um, and then there were more mature forms of defense mechanisms that went some way towards being constructive, uh, even if they didn't completely um, address the situation or address uh, the individual's own understanding of their, their own struggles. And then there were more advanced uh, forms of defense mechanisms that um, that were actually uh, fell into the camp of of being assertive, uh, being um, not lashing out and being reactive, but but taking a more objective view of of the issue at hand and responding as appropriately as possible, given the amount of information the individual had about the threat or the stressor that was giving them a problem. So. Um, and the thing is, you really have to, you have to have had engaged in some amount of therapy 
or or read enough about you know psychology and some of these ideas to recognize when when the suffering that you're experiencing uh, is basically your own fault um, and basically something that you're not taking responsibility for. Uh, and the way you, you address it is to lash out or project all kinds of nasty things on others. And, um, and there is a type of more advanced defense mechanism because we do want to protect ourselves. We don't want to, uh, you know, we'd like to, um, I think part of the aim, part of the goal, uh, at least for, for some folks, um, who I count myself among is to grow and to, and to respond to things as constructively as I know how to, um, you know, by the same token, it's, it's, (laughs) it's work. You can, you can catch yourself being defensive and deflecting, uh, criticism and, and saying, you know what, sheesh, uh, you're right. That was, that was a mistake on my part. And uh, I was reacting, and okay, let me let me think on this a minute. Um, that takes humility. That takes uh, that takes a certain amount of um, injury to one's ego. Uh, so another part of this whole discussion, I think, is about the ego and all the lies we tell ourselves to make make us feel better about ourselves. Um, you know, we all want to be, uh, admired and we all want to project, a a, uh, an image of having our shit together and, and being successful to some degree or another and, uh, have a certain level of attractiveness and appeal. And, um, we want to, you know, we want to look good in front of people. Uh, and, Unfortunately, it's the extent to which we lie um, in order to uh, project this this image of um, attractiveness, uh, good qualities, uh, intelligence um, that uh, that really opens ourselves up. I think to having the universe from time to time give us a big whopping whack on the head and um you know there have been times where i could i could trace my own um experience of getting these whacks to the head back to you know gosh you know for 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 the weeks following that that whack i was kind of being self-indulgent i was uh with my diet with my with the things that I was allowing myself to pay attention to, uh, with my dissociative um, habits, all of these things add up. Um, and then when the, when the suffering comes, when the reminder that I ain't all that <laughs> occurs, it's a, you know, it's a, in one respect, you know, you can take a step back and say, well, good, it's a grounding Suffering is good for the soul. I'm being reminded of the cross that I'm choosing to bear and just wanting to be a decent person. But at the same time, you know, there are days uh, following this, this um, reminder, this alarm clock, 
this uh, objective signpost, if you will, that comes from people around us, comes from the, the world at large. It's painful. It's, you know, and uh, unless you're a robot, uh, we all know what this feels like. It means shallow breathing. It means headaches. It means uh, difficulty sleeping. It means, uh, it could mean all these things. It might look a little bit different or, or varied. Um, and there's just this, this feeling in the body and in the emotions, which is just sheesh. You know, what, you know, well, how do I get through this? This is just, this is awful. But it's during those times, I think, that we have an opportunity. And that opportunity is to make all of the reasons for the suffering and the experience itself as conscious as possible, which is to say we don't want to repress it or shunt it away or, um, or gloss it over with, with more dissociation or alcohol or movies or whatever it is or comfort food, whatever mechanisms or, or tools people use to medicate themselves away from uh, conscious suffering um, only makes the situation worse. And, you know, I've had that experience too. Uh, you know, family difficulties and sheesh, I'm going to, I'm going to have two martinis tonight and I'm going to, I'm going to watch a stupid movie. <laughs> and you know what? It doesn't make anything feel better. It, in fact, it just makes things worse, especially if you're, if it's in your nature or if, if you truly desire the, the growth that would come from dealing with things uh, properly um, or at least constructively. So um, conscious suffering, being aware of oneself as one is going through it uh, and, even, and even saying to oneself, you know what, this sucks, but I'm still going to, I'm, I still, I'm still going to throw out the garbage. I'm still going to clean my room. I'm still going to respond to people uh, as, as well as I can and not put it on them. In fact, it might be a good practice to share the suffering, not to, not to, not to bring the, another person down, but to definitely share the experience with someone else to, to put it in, into as objective a, a, uh, in terms, in terms of objectively as possible. Um, so that's one way to, I think, constructively deal with the process. Preach it, Alon. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, that was great. I think that was, that was a really great way of summing up uh, the process. Um, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about... I was thinking a lot of different things came into my head about, you know, just how we can kind of gloss over different problems that we have and, and how that, that in and of itself, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't solve anything at the time. It might, it might, you know, dampen the, the, the pain of the suffering, but you know, that's, that's part of the wrong attitude, isn't it? Because it's like, we, uh, the responsibility, the aims that we have in life, 
really create the world that we see. You know, that's something that Jordan Peterson has talked quite a lot about, the fact that your aim structures your vision, essentially, because if you have an aim to be a mass murderer, then things that are good to you are different from things that are good to another person. If you have the aim to be a saint, then obviously that's radically different. The world around you appears different. You're, you, Depending on your aim, you use things differently. And so critical and a critical part of like what you're talking about is that aim, is that commitment that you make in those those times, isn't it? That that my aim is higher than this. Is my aim is higher than that. And I have to voluntarily suffer some things. Just like just like being, you know, just like anybody, go to work. You have to, you know, no work isn't fun, full of suffering. You work, you know, especially if you work in some re- ridiculous jobs, you know, people who are downwardly adjusted in their work. So they work jobs that, you know, they've got PhDs, but they're working behind the counter because it's the only way to pay their bills. They're, you know, they're more intelligent, but, you know, work, they they have to work. The, the attitude they have is, is that I'll suffer voluntarily. I'll accept the suffering. Mm-hmm. Or another example um, that I re- recently read, a, a, a doctor, you know, that works 30-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. But they suffer. It's suffering, but they do it voluntarily, just because it's part of their aim to help people, to help the people that need it. And in certain, you know, you never know when you're needed. And if this situation calls for a thirty-hour shift, then I've got to do it, and I suffer voluntarily. There, I mean, obviously, we all have limits on what we're going to voluntarily suffer. And some of us have no. I mean, some of us, it's like the a pinprick. And we're screaming, you know, the, the orange, orange man, man bad. bad, orange <laughs> bad. Yeah, it's just a pinprick, and all of a sudden the world is crashing down. How could you know? Start, let's start a revolution right now, <laughs> right? And then obviously you look back at you know our ancestors and the kinds of environments they lived in, and the, the thick skin that was required, and the kinds of suffering that caused you know, them, or you know, other people with debilitating illnesses, people returning from war. You know, suffering is different, but we all have a a threshold on what we will voluntarily allow. And I think that it's important to include in our awareness of suffering those kinds of suffering, and to to really incorporate that idea that we can include that into our threshold and that it's it's beneficial that those that that conscious suffering where you see all of your mistakes and the warts and how you failed people or mm-hmm. and you you don't just try and cast blame on somebody else because you know somebody else's fault if they just if they just hadn't you know said that to me i wouldn't have been that way to them. You right. know, it's their fault. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who started it. But when you really, on an individual level, you I mean, could be true, right? Could be true. This other person starts a fight. You react belligerently. Something bad happens. You, you know, it takes two to tango. You know, every we all have choices and we all have, con- you know, and those choices have consequences. And, you know, when you accept the suffering that comes with, you know, that gut-wrenching, ah, jeez. <laughs> Like you've just seen a ghost, you know, like you're just seeing your skeleton. That's positive. That's healthy. And that's, that's beneficial. That's not a needless or evil form of suffering, but 
that is the transformative type. That's that's really an opportunity, isn't it, for you to yes. make a commitment to say, like you said, to bring all of these things into awareness, to say, so you can trail you can trace it back, right? You can do a, like a psychological history of why you made this choice, why you behave this way. You've behaved this way in an X number of situations. That's why people react to you this way. It's no one else's fault. It's your, you know, this is on you. And you have a choice. It's your free will. There is free will in that moment. Maybe before that, there wasn't. But now, boom, thunderbolt. You're thunderstruck. Now you've got some free will. You can exercise it, or you can just pretend like nothing happened. And like you you know, use that word, just react. Just react. Just let everything happen to you. And, and then um, just, just so that you can salvage, like you said, your ego. Which is just such a worthless thing to salvage, isn't it? I mean, as much as we love our egos, you know, it's like, you know, that or, you know, the the larger picture. Well, if yeah. I could interject, there is something that Jordan Peterson has said. I don't want to say like recently because he said it multiple times. But um, when you have that kind of situation where all of a sudden you thought you were over here and then, you know, this shock comes to you, and then you realize, oh, I'm actually way over here. Mm-hmm. And that is a, it's a call to adventure, as he might put it. And that's very uh, invigorating and optimistic a way to put it. Um, because, you know, y- yes, you have to, uh, your ego takes a blow, but it gives you the opportunity to not just think yourself uh, in this place that you want to be, but to actually take stock of where you're actually at and to bring yourself to that actual place uh, where you are kind and generous and have a good work ethic uh, and are a beneficial member of your community. And another thing that he's said that I think ties in with it uh, again, bringing in a invigorating and optimistic uh, look about it is, uh, I think it was a verse from Matthew's where it says that uh, to he who has nothing, everything will be taken, and to he who has everything, more will be given, or something to that effect. And it's the idea that if you allow yourself to continue on and you continue making excuses for yourself to... Uh, lull yourself into a false sense of security and then letting things slide and letting things slide, it becomes an avalanche. And then eventually, you know, something comes and falls on your head and wakes you up and shows you that you're not where you thought you were. So you have to take stock and reevaluate. But if you, if you do that, and if you do that, then it's a multiplier. It's not just a one plus one. It's a one, you know, one squared and then one cubed, and then one whatever the fourth to the fourth power is. It's still one. <laughs> it's just <the> one. <laughs> but we get what you're saying for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, starting wherever little thing that you can and then taking the next step and then taking that next step and not letting yourself um, use it as an excuse for, for various other bad behaviors, but seeing it as an opportunity to, oh, well, now I can do things a little bit differently here. and Maybe it'll be good. Maybe not. I don't know. But it's worth at least a shot. 
Well, you said something, Adam, that reminded me quite a bit of um, uh, the science or esoteric study of personal evolution, uh, as uh, written in the books by Boris Moraviev, Gnosis, and uh, In Search of the Miraculous, um, which is a compendium of Gurdjieff's teachings, and that is uh, that shocks are very important. And um, it's these negative emotions uh, and suffering that we experience as a result of these shocks, which, which according to these writings, uh, provide the opportunity to, to grow and create the capacity, if responded to correctly, uh, to have an influx of joyous energy, which is very interesting to me because it seems that without the um, objective conscious suffering that, uh, that we might experience as a result of these shocks, um, you know, it's kind of a yin-yang uh, formation that we're made up of uh, psychically. Uh, without going there, we we might lose the capacity for what may be true experiences of joy. Not, and, and this isn't joy on the mundane level of, of uh, self-gratification and, um, and short-term, uh, you know, little feelings good. This is something, uh, I don't want to say profound, but um, definitely rich with greater meaning um, in our lives. Um, and, and if the experience of being human is to, is to both have, uh, if life is suffering, as you were saying earlier, Corey, and it, and it would seem to be, that seems to be the rule actually. Uh, then if we can accept that as fully as we can as individuals, um, and work with that, then maybe we're creating a greater capacity for joy in our lives. And, and this gets back a little bit to uh, the show we did on uh, happiness several weeks ago, where um, pursuing uh, happiness is entirely the wrong idea. It's, it's only out of pursuing the, the conscious aims that we have for ourselves, as you outlined a little earlier, um, that happiness is an outgrowth, uh, that, ha- that happiness can become an outgrowth of. So, uh, those are some some interesting uh, points you brought up, uh, or that brought up interesting points in uh, for me uh, in terms of what what a shock is capable of doing mm-hmm. for ourselves. I just wanted to go a little bit more on what Adam was talking about when you when you get this kind of a shock. You you like Adam, you said you you thought you were here, but then all of a sudden you realize no, you're way over here, mm-hmm. and so you're your mental map of reality has been been proven to be a lie. Mm-hmm. Like you're wrong. You're living a lie, essentially. You believe in a lie about yourself and about the world around you. And you can't explore reality with a mental map that's based on lies. Mm-hmm. It'd be better to have no map at all than to have one that's based on lies. And so when you get the opportunity to to adjust it, then you probably, I mean, like we all should really incorporate the the idea that that's the time to do it. You, I mean, when the, when it's the heat is on 
you know, when you're all, God, you know, flustered and, and everything, that it, that is the time to really hammer in to those, those neurons all hardwired uh, to, to hammer it in that the map is wrong and that it needs to be adjusted. And that goes back to like what you were talking about, Ilan, about all the, you see the choices that you made that led up to it, and then you can really put yourself into a different light. You see yourself in a different light. And, ob and obviously, for most, for almost all people except a very select few, that is going to be um, not very favorable. It's not going to be very pretty, you know, what you see when you really look at yourself. I mean, there's so few people who are born with such a pure heart and such pure intentions and with such a lofty amount of awareness that they don't make the mistakes that, that, that you know, can really heavily impact other people and that they don't become, they, that they have an aim their whole life and so they don't become bitter and cruel and, and hurt other people or and you know even sadistic you know obviously there's a lot there's a large portion of people who you know they harbor you know very cruel and sadistic personalities because of the kinds of aimlessness that are you know just part of being alive you know you just there's just especially in this day and age there's a lot of noise out there there's a lot of noise it's who knows who what's right who knows what's wrong and who knows where to go? Who knows what's the truth? There is no truth. There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this, that idea, if it leaves you aimless and you're, and you'd suffer without any purpose, then, you know, as Jordan Peterson has talked about how that you're going to become bitter, cruel, and then possibly even sadistic. And, you know, this, you can't, well, go, to go back to what I was saying about the mental map. So you, you see yourself here and, you think you're here, but then it turns out you're there. Okay, so now that means that where you thought you were going, like you're nowhere near that, right? So now you see, now you have a chance to see where you're you're actually going, and that highlights a big problem that a lot of us have when you look at the kind of the map of meaning that we that we have. Kind of, I guess it, maybe it's a subconscious or unconscious map of meaning that we have in our life about where we've been, where we came from, where where we are, and where we're going. Well, for a lot of people, you know, it's like, how do you, do you really know where you are? I mean, a lot of people probably don't, you know, it's, it's a, you know, kind of a, a tricky question, you know, like, where are you? Are you talking about just physically? Well, no, we're talking about, you know, psychologically in terms of who you are as a person and, and what your future orientation really looks like. Is it, you know, are you going, are you on a path of aimlessness and, you know, Years from now, you're, you're going to be drinking too much and hurting the people around you, whereas right now you think that, you know, you're, you're going to be super successful in this and that. Um, are, are you, uh, do you have the opportunity to see yourself as, you know, to know where you really are and to have a path to get to where you'd really, really want to go? I think that's a, one of the big positive things about different writing exercises like the Pennebaker redirect writing exercises where you take uh, 20 minutes a day for four days and mm -hmm. you just sit down and you just write about a traumatic experience that you had not necessarily traumatic but just an experience like we're talking about like the shock you know something that left you just floored like I can't believe you know and you you were in limbo hell lost and it still upsets you and you write it out with a goal of of getting meaning out of it 
And because a lot of us, you know, life is so fast, those kinds of things will happen. And we don't, a lot of people, probably most just go through them alone, you know, especially guys who would probably just stoically just suffer it because, you know, if that's kind of a, you know, a a sentiment among men and especially with disagreeable men, you know, if, if you don't, if you live in a society that doesn't, you know, that just doesn't really understand it, doesn't, hasn't really come to grips with with the importance of it, then, you know, why share that with, with people, you know, that's your suffering. You know, a lot of people, I think that gets to a point that we can get a little bit too attached to it. Um, but yeah, like the Pennebaker exercises and the, the self authoring program that Jordan Peterson has where you do a similar thing, but it's much more robust and it's, and it's geared for exactly for creating this mental map where you know exactly where you're at you know the the virtues that you have and the vices that you have. You know the the kind of risks that you have for developing addictions or for you know developing unhealthy patterns that you know and for being cruel or you know just being stupid. You see all of the the weaknesses. You look at them and you're honest about it. If you're honest about it, you um you're able to kind of plot a course and to adopt and adopt an aim that you want like an attractive, you know, something, some attractor that is higher than what you are at the moment, but that you desire and that you maybe didn't even realize that you desired. And that maybe, you know, in in a million years, you never would have even thought that that was part of like, you know, when you're looking at your life, you're like, you know, I was happiest, you know, working on this, or I was happiest working on that. And I didn't even, you know, I didn't just let it pass by. But when you examine it, and you see uh, the kind of joy that it had and the kind of the power it had to that where you grew, you know, you were happier around other people. You just lived better, lived stronger. Then you're able to, you know, extrapolate that and then put that into your value hierarchy. And you can just kind of keep doing all of those 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 exercises and building that that value hierarchy, consciously creating a value system that is sorely lacking, you know, today. It's, we're really kind of, we're really on our own, you know, there's, we're really, that's one of the driving reasons I think to, to have this show today was the fact that, you know, a lot of, most people out there are on their own. Uh, there's no, probably no going back to previous value systems because so many of them, um, were filled with lies. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many lies out there that, we we really it's up to us to build a value system that's based on on truth and you can't adopt another one wholesale you know that's one of the the problems you know with anything really i mean just being a human you know you can't just adopt an entire belief system and then hope that it will provide the mental map that you need to live your life well you know what's fascinating is that i think right now you know, you started uh, at the top of the show with with sort of touching upon the um, this the, the liberal um, left leaning uh, problems of of being reactive to certain things and and a victim of of certain things. There seems to be a whole constellation of ready made values that you're not only told are correct, but that you're a bad person if you don't believe in. Um, so you're, you're, it's like the, the carrot and the stick are, are whacking you 
at simultaneously and and kind of uh, suggesting you'd better believe this because it's the right way. Otherwise, you are evil. Um, so yeah, I, I think your observation about you know being in the dark and and having these uh, very little, except in the way of of guys like Peterson, and except in the in the way of going back to. Uh, the wisdom literature of, of a Gurdjieff um, or, you know, philosophers uh, that have been um, kind of showing us the way uh, or trying to for a very long time with, with traditional values. Um, yeah. We're Western society is, is pretty lost right now. And um, the forces of, of uh, dissolution and, and, uh, and chaos are just seem to be accelerating in this direction. So, um, really, uh, taking stock and as you were saying with the Pennebaker exercises, finding the meaning in, in failure, finding the meaning in that, uh, that time you were fired or the breakup or the, the argument with a family member or the, or just the realization that you, that you, don't have it all together that you're you are one of the downwardly adjusted um you know it was guys like uh on a more extreme um spectrum you mentioned victor frankel you know uh primo levi uh, survival in auschwitz um i mean these were guys who found the meaning in the most horrific situations and have lived a to tell the tale and to uh, and to give people the benefit of of their own understanding of what it means to be um, a human being and to grow, um, which which brings me to another thing I wanted to bring up in this conversation, which is how much do we take for granted? You know how many how many times have my parents uh, sacrificed for me in ways that I wasn't even aware of or just kind of, uh, dismissed, well, they're my parents, they had better. And I think that's, I think that's important. I mean, it wasn't until my twenties. I, you know, I still remember one time it was like 6am or 5.30am and I was, um, getting up, I was working on a, on a, very early internship. I had a job on a independent movie production and, uh, my car wasn't starting and I had to be there real early. So I came back to the house and, um, I was looking for the, the triple a, you know, car boosting, you know, phone number. I was living at my, with my parents at the time. And, uh, and my dad realizing that I was looking for it at like six in the morning, um, you know, he, without saying anything, he, he got up and started looking with me and, and made sure I was able to call AA and, and get the car boosted so I can go to this internship and, and make it in on time. He was half asleep, but it was so automatic for him. It was such a duty for him that he had assumed for himself on behalf of me his son, who he loved, 
And um, it was uh, when it happened, I was, um, at first I was, you know, I was at this stage in my life where I was kind of getting my independence and didn't want any help. And, um, you know, I told him, leave me alone. I got it handled. But he, he knew I needed some assistance. And, uh, and, um, and so I, all I can do is walk away as he found the AA phone number. And I cried because I, it, I had, he was, he was there for me. And, um, I could see a part of myself that was um, proud and egotistical, or at least just wanting to be independent and at that kind of age where I was uh, resistant to his assistance. And, um, but by way of, of getting back to the main point, which is uh, there are things that are being done for us all the time and in ways we don't even realize. And I think that uh, to try to economize in, in giving back uh, to our community, to the people we're surrounded by, to the universe, as lofty as that sounds, um, that would be a, a good thing to aim for. That that was a really good good uh, story. That reminds me of something that Putin was talking about with with his father. Uh, he was talking uh, to a reporter after the uh, the Victory Day parade, the Great what was it called the Great War? Uh, I can't remember what it's called in Russian. Like, I think it was the Victory Day parade, and he was talking about how his father couldn't walk in the first parades because he lost his leg in the war and he's talking about all the the sacrifices that that generation had made and that it brought tears to his eyes to be able to walk for his father through through the actual parade and to honor the the great sacrifices that were made and i think that is another important really critical thing to to keep in mind is to cherish really to cherish the individuals and their suffering of the of our ancestors, not not distant, not always distant, but like you said, even you know our parents and the you know their parents and going back. But you know, for Putin, you could see that it was extremely, as it was for you, it was extremely genuine. The the sense of honor that he felt, knowing that the same blood that coursed through his father's veins the same dna the same genes he carried as well and you know that's not to get too much into you know the the kind of cost that was that was levied against the the russian people but you know just to imagine that in the 1930s like three or four million russians were in revolt against stalin and in their villages scattered you know not connect not connected together like an army but just in revolt against Stalin because he had cut off their, you know, their food. He was just going up and taking their grain, saying, you know, we're not going to pay you for this. We're just, you have to give it to us. And his hatred for the peasants was extreme. And his preparations for war with Hitler were, were nil. 
he was absent for a couple of days after Hitler invaded and had no, you know, he was just kind of was in shock to, because he, he, nothing could run without him. And he was a horrible military commander. He was absolutely horrible. And so to start off with, the, the, you know, the Red Army was, was crushed in, in many places because he made the worst decisions. He wouldn't listen to anyone. It was only through experience that he gradually came to allow the Russian people to defend their territory than the generals to, to act with any degree of independence. And so, you, you know, at that time, that kind of suffering was, was so great that, you know, you were being starved by your own country and invaded mm-hmm. by a war machine and yet still they managed to you know push back and just you know destroy you know a menace that was just you know unbelievable and just you cannot even you know fathom and so yeah just just honoring the suffering of our ancestors and just ancestors in general and the kinds of achievements that they made is another thing that is missing sorely lacking in our you know in the the modern climate because you know suffering is you know, we don't suffer so cheap. anymore. Why would you suffer when you can do blah 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 this or that? I can you know hit this button and I'm happy now. Um, you know that's just it's there are like as we've been discussing there are many shades to suffering and I think that you know like we we said that you know at, at some level it's just the whip on the back of every living creature on this planet, but for human beings there is transformational quality to mm-hmm. it there's there's an element of transformation that can be taken in and especially when we're talking about our moral suffering when we take into consideration the fact that we are not who we think we should be and we accept that we need to update our map and to become better that's when suffering is you know it's a, that's a good kind of suffering that we should adopt we should accept that that is necessary and just incorporate it into our you know the amount of suffering that we will voluntarily allow. I will allow that I have to work this shift because I, and even though I hate it and I hate these, you know, everything about it, but I allow it because it's life. Mm -hmm. Same with the moral failings, moral suffering. You know, that's why not, you know, we, it's time. I think as a, if we're going to create our own value systems that we, we start incorporating things that are, you know, that are good. And ditching all of that, you know, other, other junk. And then also another, to appreciate the suffering of those who have gone before and to actively seek to understand it, I think. Mm-hmm. That's another really important piece that, you know, to understand history, not just by numbers, but by the, you know, the sweat and the blood and the toil and the, the names and the, the people and what they experienced. And to be able to get inside of those events and to and to appreciate it and allow it to really widen your heart so that you can appreciate what, you know, what really they created for, for who they don't know the world that we live in now. Do they know us? Maybe, maybe I don't think so. They created it and we live in it. So might as well be grateful. Might as well for the things that we do have Mm -hmm. that are better, that make life better for us than it was for them. You know, that's something that, you know, that, that is beneficial about suffering. Correct. Mm. Is that correct? I, <laughs> I, I would say so. Um, and maybe as an exercise, and I've done this a couple of times 
spontaneously when I was, uh, when I happened to be going through some bout of suffering, I thought about um, people in history who, uh, some famous, some not, who would experience suffering on a whole other level. Uh, and that, and that causes me to appreciate it or appreciate them all the more. It's like, okay, uh, this is bad. And certainly this feels bad and I feel awful. And, and this feels like this and I'm not going to denigrate it or devalue it or, or say, well, it's nothing compared to that person. But at the same time, you know what? That person experienced this and more when they were trying to do this and accomplish this for people. Um, but one of the last points I, I'd like to make, and uh, maybe, maybe you have something to, to add to this, Corey. I don't think we're saying that we should seek to suffer. Right. I, I think the main point is that we should approach it uh, as constructively as we can um, using as many of the tools as constructively as, as we know how to. Um, we don't, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to hold, I don't like suffering and I don't want to hold myself up as a, as a, a martyr or someone who is so good because I suffer. Uh, and, and so I seek to suffer because it's going to make me a better person. But um, it has its place. And it's a big place, and it's an important place. And we need to think about how to put it into perspective in such a way that um, it serves us to better ourselves and to, to be better for other people. Excellent point. And on that note, I think we're going to end today's show, unless there's anything else you guys had uh, on mind, on your minds. All right, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. We will see you all in the next episode that you click on. Hit like and subscribe. Bye. Thanks, everybody.